0: Isn't that great the christmas story from the mouths of children man we the christmas story we all know it it's so familiar i say this every year it's so familiar it's hard to be uh, surprised by anything during christmas we know what we're going to get right i want to tell you that in today's sermon um, I am excited about this because there are some things that, um, that, that are new, that are fresh, that I think are going to help open your heart to what actually happened at Christmas. Because here's the reality. There's a lot that happened during Christmas um, that our nativity isn't quite telling us the truth about. We love the nativity, uh, and the, the account of, of it is fun. But let's look at what God has for us today. So I want you to think, first of all, about the impossibility of Christmas, We have a baby who's born that's fully God and fully human. We have angels showing up to give divine messages to different people that will change their lives forever. We have pagan Babylonian magi who are given a divine star to travel to meet a Jewish baby. I mean, God decides to start a new movement of redemption, and he chooses a young woman in a backcountry small town. You know? the, the, The king of the universe coming to inhabit the realm of humanity, and he comes... To a poor and simple family. No castle, no servants, no throne, no political power, no social pedigree. The prophet Isaiah wrote this 700 years before the first Christmas. He said this. The Lord himself will give you the sign. The virgin will conceive a child and she'll give birth to a son and you'll call him Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. What a miracle that statement itself is. I believe Emmanuel, God is with us, is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, one of the greatest miracles, and it has so much, so much mystery to it, so much wonder. Did you know that we as humans, we were created in God's image to have wonder, to have marvel, to to have awe, and to, to have mysterious and be okay with that? But um, because we have a God, we have a God who's wonderful. We have a God who's awesome. We have a God who is mysterious and we can't fathom or fully understand his ways. You know, faith and wonder, God and awe. Following Jesus in adventure. This is how it was created. This that's how it should be. But one of the things that our modern era has worked very hard to do is try to squeeze out of us all the wonder to squeeze out of us the awe and the mysterious part that comes with this. In fact, Albert Einstein, uh, he said this. He said, The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious, the unknown. It is the source of all true art and all true science. He to whom mystery is a stranger who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead and his eyes are closed. You see, in a lot of ways, especially with Christmas, we've lost the wonder. We've lost the awe. We've overlooked the mysterious ways that God moved. When our our world begins to make perfect sense to us, when we cease to believe that supernatural things actually happen, when we stop seeing that there is a mystery in God, when we have an explanation for everything, well, is our faith actually faith? If we forget or dismiss that our God is all-powerful, all-knowing, that there is mystery in his nature, who he is, and that, and that if, if, we, we have, if we forget that, then we have shrunk our faith down to a small, comfortable God that we can wrap our heads around and put in our nice, comfortable religious boxes. When we lose our wonder, theologian A.W. Tozier says, we end up with a God who can never surprise us, who never overwhelms us, who never astonishes us, and never transcends us. And I'll say this if you're rarely surprised, or if you're rarely overwhelmed in worship anymore in your own life, or have astonishment at what God is doing in and through you and around you, it could be that your faith has shrunk and your faith is in a small, comfortable God in a nice, tidy box. Because wonder, awe, and mystery, these things are vital to the Christian walk. These are the hallmarks of knowing there's a God who is larger and grander than we could ever imagine. And without this wonder, without this awe, our faith becomes small and human-sized. Our prayers, when our our faith becomes small, then our prayers revolve mainly around blessing our food and hedges of protection and travel mercies. We're We're not praying big, audacious prayers When a human loses their awe and wonder about a divine, mysterious God, it dulls our pursuit. It diminishes our prayers and it dampens our passion. So we have to stop and ask: well, how is my pursuit of Jesus? How how big are and audacious are my prayers? How fiery is my passion? I believe that for many of us, we need to regain our wonder and our awe and, and, and exhilaration around God's mystery that he is who he says he is. And he wants to do the things that he has done. In the Bible, anytime somebody has an encounter with God or even one of his messengers, there is a palpable uh, and profound reaction in the person, Christmas included. You can see how Christmas, it's not just some sweet story. This is what I've been trying to do the last two weeks, and this week especially. It's not just a sweet little story. There is drama and mystery. There is scandal. There is intrigue. And in the end, there's a move of God that if we were to see the, the full scope of it, we would, it would leave us awestruck in wonder at what he is doing in Christmas. It would leave us in reverence that God would come in human form to ransom us in our lives. And he came as a baby in the circumstances that he did. You know, in the past weeks, we've looked at the Magi. We've looked at Mary. We've looked at Joseph. Today, I want to focus on a very unlikely group in this Christmas story. It's these guys who are watching sheep on a hillside, just a normal, uneventful, peaceful evening. Shepherds. Have you ever wondered why in the world angels were sent to shepherds to announce the birth of the King of Kings? Simple sheep herders doing their job, which is watching sheep, they get the privilege of having the sky open up and angels declare that the king has come. Most of these shepherds, I just want you to know something, socially, shepherds were um, a lower, lowly class of people. Most didn't finish school. They're not trying to move up the corporate line and become, you know, over a certain sheep or whatever. They don't have political aspirations. Shepherding is a world of difference from the rabbis and the temple and the culture of the city and, and, and the lifestyle. Very different to even the blue collar workers. And I mean, if you're kicking off a movement, if you want to kick off a movement that will change everything around the globe, why do you show up to those people? Why? You'd think God would have had the angels, like, hey, go to the temple. Go on a high fest, go on Rosh Hashanah or Passover. When everyone's there, go to the temple on a holy day and we'll open the clouds and reveal that Emmanuel, the king, has come. You'd have thought God would, would have his angels show up to the rabbis, the priests and theologians, so they could, they, they would know how to truly get the word, the message out, wouldn't they? They would know. But, but, but he chose simple people. He didn't choose a temple packed with worshipers. He chose a dark hillside spotted with sheep. God revealed his plan. Had God revealed his plan to the priests, who had God all figured out, they would have had a hard time believing this story. How do we know this? Because Jesus, as he grew up and he started healing people and helping people in a way only the Messiah could do, how did the priests respond They didn't worship. They worried that their power would be taken. They didn't celebrate the Messiah. Instead, they tried to kill him. You see, the priests, they had God in a nice, tidy box. And they missed or dismissed the work that God was doing right around them. You see, the rabbis and priests, they had lost their wonder, lost their awe. Their faith had no room for this mysterious move of God. Their God was tightly packed in a box that they could control an orchard when God can no longer surprise us. When we have him in a box, just like those priests and rabbis, we can miss or dismiss the way he's moving right around us. We miss it because it doesn't fit into our nice box. Which makes me ask the question, how much wonder do you have in your life when it comes to God? Some of you have Uh, Been in church for decades, a lifetime. How much wonder do you still have left when it comes to God and who he is? How much room does God have in your life to move, to speak, to act, to call you, to heal, to do tangible miracles? How much room? Now we may claim that, oh, I believe God can do anything. But many of our lifestyles betray us and especially our prayer life betrays us because we're not praying the kinds of prayers that we believe a mysterious and all-powerful God can accomplish. When we stop having awe that God can move miraculously, our faith shrinks down to a manageable, nice, portable faith that we can take to church on Sundays, take to work and pull it out when it's appropriate, maybe talk to some friends when it's appropriate, but that's about it. But then comes Christmas. And this is where I want to show that Christmas challenges those of us with small faith, small prayers, and small expectations because Christmas reveals the mysterious might of God's movement. Christmas reveals something that's amazing. Christmas itself is miraculous. Christmas tells a story about an almighty God, creator of the universe, who loves you so much, who desires a relationship with you so much that he moved all things and he came to the earth to do the impossible. Not in the palace of a king, not in the authority of a Caesar, not in the position of a politician, but as a baby, a helpless baby. You remember a newborn baby, right? They're completely dependent. That's how he came. He came. He was born in a sheep cave to a a teenage mother, an adopting father, whose status was that of a a craftsman. That's how God kicks off this movement. You see, we need to take our safe, sweet Christmas beliefs off the nativity shelf and reexamine them. Because Christmas should challenge our faith. Christmas should blow apart our box. It should expand our awe and it should grow our hope and it should grow our prayer life because that God who did that can can do these works in me, can move on my behalf. Throughout the Bible and even today, God is looking for people who won't tell him what he can't do, who won't put him in a nice religious box. And this is where we find the shepherds. This is where they come in. The shepherds have this revelation from God and they receive it with awe and wonder. They embrace it with childlike faith and it says their response was they hurried off to go see if it was true. They didn't stop and have a small group or committee and discuss the theology of it. None of that. They just went. So I want us to open today, look into this today because I I want you to see something that is so beautiful in God's word, so amazing in this story that my prayer is that today you have a... A moment of wonder. I want today for you to have a moment of awe to see Christmas in a way you've never seen it before. Let's look at the shepherds. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in, in in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave a birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and she placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's just start right off the top popping some nativity bubbles. You ready? In is not the word they should use there. It makes us think of a hotel, And we always see even in those stories, like it's like the no vacancy at the motel, we'll leave the light on, but not tonight, you know, whatever. The word here most often means guest room or lodging. Jesus uses the same words two other times, and both are in reference to a guest room. In fact, Jesus later tells a parable about the good Samaritan who actually took someone to an inn, and when he says that, he uses a different word. So some houses back then in these days would have a small room or a separate guest room attached to the house. And let's just pause this nice, sweet story and think through it very practically. Joseph likely has relatives in Bethlehem because he's required to go to his hometown. He has family there. But there's lots of family in town for the census, and there's probably no room in the guest room. So Mary and Joseph likely spent the night with family in what sheep are most often held in during the time. Sheep or goats. And in researching life back then in context of Bethlehem during that period of time, if a family had sheep or goats, oftentimes they would keep them in a place under the house that had almost this grotto or cave-like environment or next to the house and sometimes in a literal cave. In fact, there are shepherd caves still throughout the region. I was watching some videos um, as these caves spot the area, and the soot is so thick on the ceiling from shepherds from even this time where where Jesus is born, who would have fires nightly. So under the family house or a cave, both had the same kind of maybe similar smell and atmosphere. It's hard to imagine Jesus being born in a first century cave-like surrounding with manure, you know, not a barn. Man, we like the barn, don't we? But it's probably not a barn. Imagine, imagine a mass influx of people pouring into a small town for a census, and every couch, every floor pad, every corner, every nook, every cranny is taken. And Joseph with a pregnant wife, they show up late at this point, and, the, and, and any shelter is better than no shelter. It's not for certain that Jesus was born in the family goat or sheep grotto. But I believe so. There's even second century scholars who write about this, who, who refer to Jesus as being born in a cave. In fact, the Church of the Nativity built over where they believe the birthplace of Jesus was. If you want to see it, they say you have to go down into a grotto, into a cave to see that. Now, I know we love the barn. The barn is so cozy. It looks so good on our shelves. It looks so good on our front lawn. I asked the creative team, I was like, can we just put a cave out there? And they said, um, we don't have the money, and, and, and more importantly, it just, it's going to look really ugly. You know, just a cave with people in there holding babies doesn't give us the same kind of feel. So, but there's more to look at here. Let's keep going. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the guest room. We'll go with that from now on. <laughs> Again, I'm going to burst your nativity bubble on this because the manger is not what we think it was, okay? It's not a wooden, ma- it's not a wooden manger filled with hay, so fresh and fluffy and oh it's not it, the manger would have looked it would have been made of stone it would have looked more like that right there and these limestone mangers are common finds for archaeologists and one archaeologist said it wasn't a wooden manger filled with hay it would have been a stone manger that they would have used to fill with water practical question how do you hold water back then there's no ancient Tupperware they're finding, you know. They're, they have to put it somewhere. So the stone manger, we, they find, if they're for sheep, they're, they're 12 to 15 inches tall. The ones for donkeys and other animals are taller. But, but this was no wooden feed trough. This is a stone water trough. We have Mary and Joseph in a cave-like atmosphere, under or next to the house, and it says she, grabbed, she had the baby, wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in that stone manger, Okay? Now let's go to the shepherds, in Luke, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. A few things to note: in general, shepherds were usually nomadic because they were they were gone for long periods of time. They they would be because of that they would be ceremonially, uh, religiously unclean. They couldn't go to the temple with the na- normal patterns that anyone else could. And there, oftentimes during this time they are youth, they're boys. And they're girls. Rarely would you ever find grown men being shepherds unless they were a special kind of shepherd, which we'll look at later. They watched these sheep in fields at night, and they would take these sheep either into one of those caves that I talked about with the soot, or they would take it into one of the, uh, if they were out in um, the wild, they would take it into a sheep pen, which was made of stone. And we studied this this summer. In our John series, you may remember the stone sheep pen with the gate, the doorway, and the shepherd would lay across the door so that no predators could get in and no sheep could get out without him knowing it. If in a cave, they would carve the water trough directly into the rock. If one of these sheep stone wall, a uh, stone wall um, fences, then they would hew a stone, hauling it out to hold their water. So, whether in the cave or in the wilderness, whether you're home or in town, we have these stone mangers that just keep showing up. Back to the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, of course, were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you great news, good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news. That's the gospel. He's bringing them good news that's going to bring great joy. Jesus, the Redeemer of the world, the Savior, the Messiah, the King is being born. And who's this news for? Who's this great joy for? Is it just for the people of Israel? Is it just for the rabbis and the religious folks? He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus comes for all people. Every continent, every race, every culture, Jesus has come to offer salvation. Now, the angel gives them some directions here, okay, along with me. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The Savior's come, the Messiah. He's Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. We already talked about that. So suddenly after this, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. And they praised God, and they were saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased the sky opens up and these shepherds just see a show put on, uh, the greatest show on earth. Imagine how mind-blowing, jaw-dropping that would have been for them at that moment. They're declaring that peace had come. It will be upon those who God is pleased with. The angels, when the angels had left them and they had gone back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this thing that has happened which the Lord has, has told us about. These shepherds, with the adrenaline and the wonder coursing through their bodies, their response is, let's go see it. If this is true, let's go look. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They find him. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had seen or they'd been told about the child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. When the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, there's, as I've been researching the Christmas account this past month, um, there's been something in this week that I've been so excited to preach. Something I can't wait to share with you. I think it's going to be a new insight for many of us. And like I said, that at some point, maybe we in, in this today go, oh, and we have wonder and awe at what God is doing. Not only do I believe that Jesus was likely born in some sort of sheep, goat, cave-like environment, I also believe Jesus was likely put in a stone manger. But right here at the very moment of his birth, there is a hidden treasure that declares Jesus' ultimate purpose. What's his purpose? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, was born so that he could grow up, so that he could point people to God, so that on Passover, he could give up his life and lay it down and then raise again. Jesus has a purpose. He came to earth with a purpose. And even here in the birth, I've read the words already to you that declare something that's been hidden, that his birth declares his purpose in an amazing way. But today, let's uncover it. And we need to start there with a verse we probably haven't thought much about. Luke 2.8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now that bit of information tells us a lot about the shepherds and a lot about these sheep. They're watching sheep in the fields nearby. Nearby what? Bethlehem. Nearby a city. In a field. Why would that matter? Because we know if they're near Bethlehem in a field, we now know what these sheep are used for. You see, the Mishnah is a collection of Hebrew writings, discussions, and commentaries on their culture and the Old Testament. You've heard me talk about the Mishnah or the Talmud many times if you've been with us through the John series, and the Mishnah speaks about this. The Mishnah in Shekulim seven 7.4 discusses sheep and where they can and can't be, and explicitly will tell us what these sheep are there for. The Mishnah says this, listen close. The regulation expressly forbids the keeping of flocks throughout the land of Israel except out in the wilderness. Okay? And the only flocks otherwise kept would be those for temple services. The Hebrew law expressly forbids the keeping of flocks except for out in the wilderness. The wild, the uninhabited country. The only flocks that would be kept in the surrounding town, surrounding the towns, not in the wilderness, would be sheep used for temple services. Which means any flocks kept close to the city in those fields would be used for sacrifices for the sins of the people. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. These shepherds tending the flock of sheep were specifically being raised for Passover offerings and temple services. The male lambs of this very flock would be offered for sin offerings. The female lambs of this flock would be used for peace offerings. Now, a Passover lamb is no ordinary lamb. Any sheep used in the temple is no ordinary lamb. Exodus, Leviticus, they all state that the acceptable lamb must be without blemish. Not a scar, not a nick on the hoof, and not, a, not a rub mark, not a little white dot, nothing. It must be without blemish. So each lamb that is born is immediately inspected. Blemished lambs that they see, they have a nick or a cut or a discoloration, anything, they're handed away for another purpose. Unblemished lambs are selected for sacred temple purposes. But someone... Someone had to be proficient. Someone had to be present at birth to inspect these lambs, to know what to look for. You see, there's, these are no ordinary shepherds. They were trained upon the birth of a lamb. They would click, quickly scoop it up and begin to inspect it. And if the lamb was found without blemish, it needed to remain without blemish. Especially... Right now, after birth, when it's most vulnerable. Because an unblemished lamb could thrash about in panic if it strikes or scrapes a stone, if it nicks a hoof. Any scar, any nick immediately disqualifies it, and they must hand it over. So, to keep the lamb from nicking itself, or scraping itself, or hurting itself, and becoming unblemished, the sheriff would the sheriff. The shepherd would inspect the newborn lamb, and if it was unblemished, he would take out a cloth and he would swaddle and wrap the lamb to keep it from flailing and nicking itself. And then guess where he would place that lamb to keep it safe? In a stone manger. Swaddled and safe till it calms down. With that in mind, We go back to Luke, because when the angel declares something to the shepherds, the angel says, the Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. And what does a sign do? It points somewhere. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Do you think these shepherds on these fields near Bethlehem looking for unblemished lambs, wrapping them and lying in them in majors, do you think they would have had any cord of connection of what that meant? The Savior has come, the Christ has come, and this is your sign, shepherds. You'll find him wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. The angels declared the Savior that the Lamb of God had come, unblemished, without sin, so that on Passover he could lay down his life for the sins of the world. Even in his birth, his purpose is clear. Uh, The baby, our King, has come to lay down his life. Jesus, the Lamb of God, born without sin, unblemished, so that 33 years from this very Christmas night, he could give up his life for the sins of humanity. And these very flocks mentioned here in Luke, in 33 years, they're going to be unnecessary. These shepherds in 33 years will have, be able to be out of a job because no other circ- sacrifice will ever be needed for sin. The Lamb of God had come once and for all. These these shepherds, they hear the news of a Savior swaddled in a manger, and, and, and they get it. They swaddle unblemished lambs and put them in a manger for the temple. Something is happening here. It says they hurried off to go see this thing. And after they find Jesus and the angel, is it no wonder that these shepherds, it says, when they returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and they had heard, which were just as they had been told. Before Jesus had even preached a message, before he had even done a miracle, shepherds praised and glorified God because they had seen the unblemished Lamb of God. The Savior, it was declared. Emmanuel, God is with us. Does that give you any more context for Christmas? Does it give you any more sense of awe and wonder that from the moment of his birth, he declared his purpose to be the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, unblemished, that would take away the sins of not just the nation of Israel, not just the people, but the sins of the earth. That's why it's good news of great joy for all people. We need more wonder and awe and Christmas is a doorway to remember that there is something happening here, much larger than maybe our faith is allowing. So what's the application? How do we apply this? It's an easy application. Be like the shepherds. Be like the shepherds. Have your eyes open for what God, for the wonder of God. Don't be like the rabbis who missed it and dismissed it, and God worked right in their midst and they didn't see it. Be like the shepherds that when God moves, you see it. And listen, when you hear from heaven, or when your heart gets that little prompt to go do something, when the shepherds they, they, they heard from heaven. Okay, but, but you might hear a prompt at a gas station or at home or today. When you hear that prompt, like they did, go, hurry off and do it. When God speaks, when God gives direction, when God reveals himself, then go. Go seek him, go serve him, wherever he would tell you. Listen, go to where he is at work and join it. We hear and we go. And there's one more thing the shepherds did that I want to challenge us with. There's one more thing. It says this, When they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. After Jesus was revealed to them, they spread the word. Orchard, many of you, many of you have found Jesus as Savior. At some point in your life, you have found Jesus as Savior But it doesn't stop there we don't just find him and be done where to go where to go spread the word so that in your life like the shepherds people around you at work and at home and at play wherever you are it says all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them and there are things that God has done and is doing in your life that people need to hear and be amazed at How do you have peace through this pandemic thing? How do you have power through that that marriage issue? How do you have peace through this issue? How do you do it? You know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to spread the word. It is Jesus moving in me and through me. And let people be amazed because you can walk that way. Be like the shepherds. Listen and then go and spread the word. And here's an easy way to do it. Christmas is an opportunity for people and for the first time that I can ever remember on Christmas Eve usually we, we don't do this but I'm going to give an opportunity for salvation in the Christmas Eve service for people to say yes I, I want the Savior I can see the Savior and the greatest gift that you could give your co-worker your family member your friend the greatest gift they could receive is Jesus Christ in their life on Christmas Eve and so my challenge to you is during communion, ask, who should I go to? Who should I go spread the word to? Who should I bring? And then go and do it. And Orchard, may we all celebrate what God is doing in our midst, that our faith, I just, I'm praying that our boxes of religion are blown apart as God continues to move in this church and through this church in ways we can't imagine. That's what he wants to do. And he's looking for a people willing to say yes when he asks them. We go into communion. It's strange to do communion during Christmas until today, because Jesus, even in His birth, declared, "I'm the Passover Lamb." That Jesus minutes, minutes into this world, He showed that that I am the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God, and my purpose is going to end on a cross, in an empty grave. So as you take communion today. Do so in the spirit of Christmas that a baby was born, swaddled, laid in a manger, because he's the Lamb of God. Let me pray for us. Oh God, I thank you for your word that is beautiful. I thank you for your plan that just blows us away how big you are, how mysterious you are. I pray for wonder to sweep across the orchard today, Father. Whether here in this building, whether at home, wherever you may be, that we would wonder at your plan. And here's the key, that we would wonder at what you're gonna do in our lives and through us. Help us to be like shepherds. Reveal to us where you're at work. And may we be the people who say yes and spread the word. Amen.